Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Mike Slater, thanks for being here. We talked all day today, different angles of World War III, just preparing emotionally and spiritually for this and, and what this could look like and be like. And we're just not ready. Just, most people are not ready for it. So uh, important to talk about. We want to play for you here the beginning of the second hour. We spent the first hour about it, and we were kind of like you know, halfway through the conversation now. But uh, we thought this is a good place to pick up the conversation and end with a caller from the Bronx who is a teacher. And it was a spectacular phone call. Here it is. World War Three. Let me play this clip that everyone has been calling in talking about. This is retired Colonel Douglas McGregor. I don't know enough about him to say whether or not he's a, a trustworthy person or not. Uh, but he was on Tucker Carlson's show, and uh, he said this: "Seen quite recently, within the last 24 hours or so, uh, some of our special ops forces and Israeli special ops forces went into Gaza." to reconnoiter, to plan for where they might want to go to free hostages and, and make an impact. And they were shot to pieces and took heavy losses, as I understand it. Hmm. Seems newsworthy. Breitbart.com is all about getting it right more than first. It's our top priority is getting it right. Uh, this will, this, this needs to, there needs to be talk of this. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about, retired Colonel Douglas McGregor? What do you, what? What do you, what do you mean? And hopefully we can get to the bottom of that. Now, whether or not it's already happened, maybe he was talking about Israeli people, who knows what he was referring to. As we continue on, not if, as this continues on, that will happen. There's no way. Now, I don't want to focus too much on this one specific mission. We've done quite a bit of this, but um, that will be, it will be, it's horrible because you imagine you imagine being a part of rescuing these hostages in tunnels in a super dense urban environment? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So that happens. And are, are we ready for that? Are you ready for that? What happens then? Let's say our, uh, our Navy SEAL guys or special ops, whatever, whatever the JSOC team goes in and um, they turn into a tunnel and uh, a bomb goes off and uh, six Navy SEALs are killed. I'm being serious. You think that's crazy? You think that's way out of the realm? No way. That's absolutely, like, should be expected. Really think about this. Prepare for this. What do we do? Uh, okay, so six Navy SEALs are killed, uh, and then more attention is drawn to the fact that this is from Iran. Because it is. It's all Iran. Okay, so now we go to war with Iran. Right? I don't know. Right? What happened? Are we you ready for that? You prepare for that? Okay, you go to war with Iran, then Russia gets involved. Now China's involved, and now they're boom. You got your World War Three. I I know for certain we're not prepared for this. I'm not saying don't do it necessarily. I'm I'm just I'm just saying we're not prepared for it. <laughs> we're just not. And I think our preparedness at this point is baked in. If this is what causes World War Three. There's not enough time to, to 
change anything. Then maybe this isn't it. Maybe we still have a couple more years before there is a thing. Maybe we have a couple more decades until there's a thing. I've heard two arguments in the last two days about why there won't be a World War III. I can share those in a minute. And those are kind of encouraging, I guess. One of them I don't agree with. One of them I can see. But uh, or maybe there's not World War III. Or maybe it's in 20 years from now when it really kicks off. Okay, so then maybe there is time for things to change. But right now, if this is it, like if it's in the next like year or so, it's baked in. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how much we can dig deep from within to change who we are in a profound way that makes me thrilled about our, our condition. I think about it like this. If there was a, let's say you're somewhere, this is probably not a, it's not a great example, but we are talking about War Three, so let's go with it. Let's say you're somewhere and uh, there's a, a mass shooting. There's a shooting somewhere. And you have your kid with you. I think about this a lot, actually. Because we have four kids. We have seven, five, three, and 11 months. So I'm not very agile when I'm out and about. You know what I mean? So let's say we're somewhere with all the kids. And uh, we have to run. You can come up with whatever scenario you want. We got to run fast far. Fast and far, we have to run. You don't have time to train. No time to train. You, it's it, it's go time. Whether you're in shape or not, is. That's it. Maybe you have time to tie your shoes. If your shoe's untied, like that's it. That's, a, that's as much as you can like really improve your situation at the moment. Make sure your shoes are tied tight. But that's it. There's no, you don't have six months to start a training regimen to get down to a seven minute mile or uh, uh, an 80 second sprint around the track. Like this is it. This is what you got. You're as in shape as you are right now. You can't go back in time and say, oh, should have gotten on the treadmill. Is it? You're as in shape as you are. And that's, see the metaphor? Are you with me? Like, okay, World War Three. Well, what we need is, nope, doesn't matter. What, sure, maybe you could talk about what you need, but what, are, what do we have? Uh, there's a report just the other day that 70% of our military, our active duty military is overweight. So later we can still fight a war, overweight, that's over computers, blah, blah, sure. Okay, fine. Metaphor. It's true, 70% overweight, but what does that mean in other realms as well? The, we, this, it's the military we have. This is, if, young, if World War Three kicks off, these are the young people we have, where 51% sympathize with Hamas and say, uh, oh, yeah, no, the, the, what, what they did is justified. What, what Hamas, what Hamas did was justified. 51% of, of 18 to 24-year-olds believe that what Hamas did is justified based off how they're treated in the Gaza Strip. Okay, so those are the young people we have. That's it. Can't change that. Uh, this is the media we have. This is the media landscape we have. This is it. Can't change that. Right? It's, 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 these are the players. So, we ready? This is the state of our church, the church in America. This is it. There could be some marginal improvements here or there, perhaps. Perhaps some people can really uh, dig deep and have some great foundational roots that, that can be uh, dramatically different or something, but uh, I don't think so. This is it. So the question is, will there be a World War III? That's the question. Will there be one? Let me, let me share real quick. We'll take the phone calls here. Uh, two arguments that there won't be. 
The one I heard yesterday is the Golden Arches theory of mutual deterrence, I believe is what it's called. No, no, the Golden Arches theory of conflict prevention. So the idea is that two countries that have a McDonald's will not go to war with each other. Now, it turns out that that's not true. <laughs> that has happened. But the idea is that China and America will never go to war because China wants to keep selling us stuff and we want to keep buying stuff and we don't want to upset the status quo. We're so prosperous. Things are so good, so easy. Bread and circuses. Why screw it up? Why would China start a war, kick off a war that would result in a lot of people dying and markets being disturbed Right, and now they're not going to make as many iPhones for us or as much as anything for us anymore now. So why, why, why mess up the Apple cart is the idea. That's, that's the argument. Uh, so I want to throw that your way before I respond. The other one is from Frances Martel, the world editor. And she's like, I know this isn't maybe super popular, but I don't think there will be a World War III anytime soon because there's just going to be a bunch of smaller conflicts, smaller wars, smaller battles all over the place. And then she went down a list of all the things that are happening around the world right now that we have no idea is even happening. And she knows all of them. So she went through like all these battles and wars that are happening in South America and Africa and all throughout everywhere. And she's like, all those things will happen. The arms will keep flowing. People will keep dying. Leaders will get power. Some will be murdered and disposed, but it'll just like be this like low, medium level, you know, chaos. And it'll just stay there, but it won't be nation, big nations versus nation, allied axis coming together, you big thing. That's what she thinks. What do you think of those? So those are, those are the arguments that there will not be a big, massive World War III. I guess someone started to make the argument in the last hour that there won't be a World War III as if we would imagine it, like World War I and World War II, great armies, missiles, bombs, exploding, shooting each other. It'll be more ideological. But I would argue that's what we have right now. We're already, we're already in that stage. We're well, well into that stage. And I love what someone said at the end, just thinking outside the box. Forget about World War III. Let's start talking about Civil War II. And, and how, if a, if a big giant war like this pops off, what does that mean here at home? Like, will we ever be united again? Do you remember September 12th? Now, I'm not going to say that what we did after September 12th foreign policy-wise, was wise. But do you remember the unity on September 12th? I don't know if that will ever happen again. If, if Hamas blew up a hospital in America, I think half the country would blame Israel. Oh, by the way, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate that. It's like someone said... Uh, a lot of how we will respond, of course, during World War Three, if it pops up, it's just who happens to be the president at that time. Like that, talk about right? We go one of one of many different directions. Anyway, uh, if if uh, uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital was hit by a rocket from Hamas, the media would blame Israel. I'm not kidding. Hamas could live stream it. Live stream it, take credit, whole thing. And they, oh, well, they wouldn't have done it if they weren't held hostage in an open-air prison and persecuted. And, you know, we support Israel, so, you know, we had it coming. That'll be half the country. 
So what do you do then? All right, 866-95-PATRIOT. 866-95-PATRIOT. Let's go to... Let's go to uh, Travis first in Texas. Hello, Travis. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Good morning. Good. I'll be in Lubbock today. Are you, are you at this afternoon? Are you in Lubbock? No, I'm in Allen, beautiful city of Allen, Texas. Yeah, Texas is big. I was talking to someone the other day. I was like, I'm going to be in uh, Lubbock. They're like, I'm five and a half hours away. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's not a bad place. They got, uh, they got wine growing out there. It's amazing what Weird. Texas Tech has done for the wine industry. Nice. But who would have thunk what, it? What's on your mind about this, Travis? So I'm a retired uh, Army veteran, 20 years as a cavalry scout. And I don't think World War III is going to be different. I think we've let so many people in, and, and you're right, the United States is so divided that we're going to have to worry about fighting on our own soil, insurgents and all this other. We rely heavily on the National Guard to supplement uh, active duty forces in combat. But I think they're going to have to be here fighting the, on the home ground. I think that's one of the problems we need to look at. Is And it's not white supremacy that's going to be doing it. It's all these other folks we let in. The, Iran says, go, or whatever, these sleeper cells. I think we're going to have to be worried about that. So I'm, just, I'm going back to World War II, and we look uh, – it's going to get me in trouble. We, we look back at uh, Japanese internment with mm-hmm. such disgust. So, oh, how could they have done such a, what horrible racist monsters they were? And you're like, well, put yourself there, man. You know, like J- Japan yep. just attacked us and here's all these Japanese people. I don't know. Yeah. Like, like and the, everyone thinks they're so much better than, than people in 1941 and would have acted so differently. And, uh, I don't think so. But how do you how do you know like where these sleeper cells are? Right? What do you do with that, Travis? I don't know. I think you have to look at uh, communities that uh, may be heavily populated with a certain population, or you know the the FBI, the NSA, CIA. I mean, I write fiction novels, and you can't write some. You can't even make some of this stuff up. No, no, definitely not. And I think that uh, you need to look at those, but then look at things that you wouldn't even think of. Uh, for example, Allen, Texas in May, right? Look what happened here to a very beautiful, nice community. So it can happen anywhere. I think we just all need to be on guard. And Rick, what, you know, are you talking about the mall shooting? Are you talking about the mall shooting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so throw in a, a few of those, and uh, that's just enough yeah. chaos to drive everyone you know, uh, All it is is it's to just cause fright so we don't get out and do our normal activities and live a free world, a free country. And that's what it's all about. And it's only going to take a few of those for people to start really getting skittish. Uh, then that just causes a whole another calamity. Yep. Travis, thank you. Cratering of the economy. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a domino effect. Yep. Just like we have with COVID, right? It'll be just like that. It'll be just like a COVID thing. Don't go anywhere. Shut down. Oh, we'll pay you. The whole thing, right? Uh, Jerry, is listen. So important. I'm not. This is not a fear mongering. I don't. I don't want any fear. The, the goal is not fear. The goal is preparedness thinking through so we're not caught off guard um like everyone else will be in this country everyone everyone will be caught off guard and we may be about the specifics but not about the the generalities this is incredibly important jerry's in ohio what's up jerry hey mike how you doing today good brother um just got a 
think about a scenario here I've been thinking about more of a, a 20,000 foot view of, of what's going on now and, and maybe a little bit into the future here. And I, and I really do kind of want to build on what uh, the guy from Texas just talked about as well. But when you look at over in the Middle East right now, it's kind of the, the spark that's going to happen. Uh, the Biden administration has allowed, you know, China and Russia to kind of get together and then bring Iran into the fold, right? So Iran, China and Russia are kind of using Iran as like this, uh, kind of like their, their dog, right? They're, you go get them, go get them, uh, you know, yeah. let them use their jihad, yes. so to speak, as, as the reason, right? Problem with that is I think uh, once the two toothpaste is out of the tube, China and Russia are not going to be able to handle what Iran will do once they've done what they've done. So there could be a big conflict, a reverse kind of conflict out there. Let's call that, you know, down in the future, right? Um, you know, that could be the five, eight years out once all this has started. How do they stop them? Um, because they're close to them, right? I mean, where's Russia? Where's China? It's right there where Iran is, right? So that could be an issue for them that they're not really thinking about. Yep. The second part of my, like my comment would be uh, kind of building off, I believe his name was Travis in Texas. Um, once that happened, once the, once the spark, I, and I think, you know, Israel retaliation could be the thing that kind of pushes the chaos. But, though, you know, the southern border is wide open, right? We all know there's sleeper cells everywhere. Who knows how many, right? How, how many attacks would they need to, to let's cause chaos and disruption in the United States? And then I don't know if anybody recalls, but a few years back, uh, they were talking about Chinese soldiers amassing in Canada. Well, where did that story go? And now all of a sudden there's, you know, chaos going on in the United States, and here comes the second front from Canada in a Chinese incursion. So that's just my thought process. And I, and I wanted to say this, you know, I'm an, I'm an, an average, ordinary United States citizen, right? I, I'm not a prepper. I'm not a, a, one of these kind of guys. But, but over these last couple of years, I have armed myself to the teeth for protection and using my Second Amendment rights, right? So I think it's going to be up to the United States citizen soldier to secure our homeland before we can worry about what's going on over in Europe and Asia, because that's going to be chaos over there once it ensues. And that's yep. just my opinion from, nope. you know, a 30,000 foot view. Jerry, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Um, I'm just you know, Googling this uh, Chinese troops in Canada. Uh, it's a QAnon conspiracy theory. Uh, I think there's so much that is true with China uh, I don't, I don't think that one's right, but, uh, there, there is so much that is true and a major problem with China. Uh, let's obviously, let's just start with, they control the Panama canal. Let's just start with that one. Let's go to Paul. Who's also in Texas. Hey Paul. Good morning. Hey Mike. Hey man. One of my favorite things about you is when you say America is the greatest country in the world, you know, as part of your intro. And, and, you know, I think the reason we're vulnerable in world war three or the civil war two is we, we don't have the necessary alignment to, to have that sort of conflict world war three around the ideological principles that make this country great. Yep. And wh where you really see it, where it's most obvious is the border, right? People don't get a border. 
it, borders don't separate one human from another human. They separate the foundational ideologies of our country from a Mexico, from a Canada. And we see no alignment around that. When people just don't fundamentally get why border integrity matters, you think, how does this country come together? We have half the country that wouldn't care, you know, who was who was who was yeah. running us. Yeah, that's the country. If Hamas was running the U.S., how many people in the country just wouldn't wouldn't get it at all? So that we we failed to teach kids for so long what is important and why this country is the greatest country in the world. They don't even believe it is, right? No, but no. you know, it's that's we, we just have an ideological failing at our core. I fear. And that's the real vulnerability here. Not we can't defend a hypersonic missile, although that's not great either. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the reason we can't defend hypersonic missile, people don't get why that's important. People don't get why it's important that the military not be overweight. It's not yeah. underneath it all has to be some shared belief in why it matters. So good. So uh, That's so good, Paul, but way better than I could have said it. Where... Hmm. I have two questions. Either where did this hatred come from? I think I can answer that one. Yeah. And then the other question I want to throw to you is how do we get it back? Yeah, man, my thing, and I'm, you know, look, I'm getting a little bit older and it's hard to stay motivated. Like, where do I engage impactfully? I think the failing of my generation is we didn't pay attention to what was happening in universities. You know, I was in law school when they started teaching critical theory. And we, I'd read, I was on the law review, we'd read the articles, and it was like, Jesus, you know, this is just <laughs> nuts and, stu and stupid, stupid and nuts. But that stuff started getting published, it started getting read, it started getting shared, you know, and nobody stood up and said, you know, I was in a libertarian student organization at UC Berkeley. There were like eight of us, the campus of 30,000 people, there were eight of us. And, and you know, that's where we lost the, you know, that's where we started to have problems. I'm not, I'm not defeatist. I do. Look, if you think our military flabby, try being a slave fighting for the, I don't, you know, the, the on the ground military, our on the ground military is still going to be superior to pretty much anybody else, but yeah. because you got slaves fighting for the other guys, but so I'm not defeatist, but I, you know, we let the universities just go unchallenged as they started teaching neo-Marxism. And now our local school district teaches neo-Marxism. You know, <laughs> everything's intersectional and everything's divided and, you know, nothing is equitable. And, and we were silent while the universities just sort of fell to an, to an, you know, an opposing ideology. And we 100%. let it happen. So for me, my own personal thing is to, you know, try to really speak up when, when education is going on. Because I, I don't see another way to sort of try. And this is a this is a generational problem. And yes, it starts with elected leadership and things like that. But but this problem happened over 30, 40, 50 years. Yep. It's not going to get on. I liked your thing about you got time to tie your shoes if World War Three is coming. You don't have time 30, 40, 50 years to you know have a resurgent ideological triumph. Yeah. But that's where we drop the ball in my opinion all right 100 right well done well done paul thank you thank you for listening yeah like maybe best case scenario is we get really close to world war three and it's bad enough well it's a rock bottom it's a sort of rock bottom so it's, we get close to world war three we get shaken and jittered enough okay it's like this if you uh text when you drive right you text when you drive 
and uh, that's obviously dangerous. Uh, but then one time you swerve into the other lane and you're able to swerve out just in time, but your heart is racing at 200 beats a minute and your life flashed before your eyes and you realize I'm never going to do that again. I can't text anymore. Right? So then you take the, right? So we need something like that. We need a close call. We need a, we need a really, 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 really close call to wake people up. And they're like, oh, wow. Uh, okay. Why is America the greatest country in the world again? And then we can start over again. So I've been saying that since... Oh, let me, let me make one sentence here quick. Uh, I think we mentioned this yesterday. So I'm reading Robert Bork's Slouching Towards Gomorrah. It's awesome. And he says that every new generation constitutes a wave of savages that must be civilized by their family, school, and church. Every new generation is a wave of savages. And his, the main thesis of his book is in the 60s, the baby boomers were such a massive influx of people and such a massive influx of people who are going to college that they could not be brought into traditional culture as it was. So they created their own counterculture, which then became the culture, and it's only degraded since then. That's the thesis of his book. But the idea that uh, every generation is a wave, a wave of savages that need to be civilized, we haven't civilized. We didn't civilize this, the young culture. When you have half, 51% of young people think that what Hamas did is justified. Okay? So these are savages here. Who can't, or at least they're, they're, well, it's Bork used the word savages. They're people who haven't been civilized. They're kids who have not been civilized. They can't see clearly. They have no moral bearings, moral compass, moral clarity. Can't, they don't, they can't think. They can't think clearly. They, they have no, we don't, we never talked about the soul. There's no biblical truth. There's no right and wrong. Like none of these things. So of course you're going to then side with the savages, which is why that woman called in earlier and said, well, forget about World War III. Talk about Civil War II. So I've been saying, uh, I start off every hour with America's the greatest country in the world. I did that ever since my first radio show in college. Because in college, you could not say <laughs> America's the greatest country in the world. That was not allowed. Uh, so that's how I, I've started every hour of the show for, I guess that would have been like 18 years ago or something like that. What's going on, Doug? Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm a school teacher in the Bronx, teach high school, uh, nice. teach uh, social studies and government. And uh, one of the things I teach on a daily basis is American exceptionalism um, and greatness. Awesome. Awesome. How, uh, how is that received initially by your uh, students? It's a lot of times students are quiet because, you know, they've been, they've been given kind of like, you know, outside of my class, they've been given a different kind of dynamic. But the amazing part is when Students are presented with the facts, just the unadulterated facts, right, pure. The good, the bad, and the ugly of this country. And, you know, one mm -hmm. of the things that's left out in kind of like the criticism of the United States is that every country has had issues. Every country's had problems. Every country's dealt with, and, you know, the fact that we're such a diverse country, so many different religions, so many different ethnicities, so many different belief systems, and that we're still together and unified. Do we have our problems? Yes. But other countries are monoliths and ethnicity, religion, and they still can't get along. Mm -hmm. And the very fact that we can be so diverse and so free and still manage to maintain our union is a credit to how exceptional this country is. And when students hear that, when they understand that, you know, they gravitate toward it. It's like, you know, when you give someone pure pure water as opposed to polluted water and they drink it, they they can recognize the difference of it. Mm. And it's amazing. You'd be surprised in the Bronx, New York, how many kids are pro-2A 
right? You'd be surprised, like, when, when given the alternative of not actually pushing a particular agenda, just say, you know, do you think that you should have the right to defend yourself? Do you, you know, what makes our country different? You know, it's amazing what students will gravitate to when left to think honestly on their own and not being kind of shaped and told what they're supposed to think. I like that a lot. I like the when given the alternative. So how much of, uh, you know, we bemoan the state of our youth, how much of that is just a factor of them never being given that alternative? Um, that, that you They're never provide. given the alternative. The teachers, really I, I, I watch, the teachers push it. The teachers push it. Like, um, and, and you can see it coming out from the books that they choose. You know, they stir them in a direction in the clubs of how they try to, I mean, it's literally indoctrination. And, you know, you know fortunately, I've got a principal who's very supportive. You know, he, he's, he's hated by, 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 by the teachers himself. You know, but, you know, we are able to, you know, we're not able, we don't push an agenda. We just allow for things to be taught, alternative views to be able to be to be seen, and for people to make their own decision. And the amazing part about it and the refreshing part about it is when, when students are given the opportunity to make their own decision without you trying to say, this is how you have to be, this is so bad, and the only thing that there's no alternative message to it. And it's also very hard to find anything in media or print that's scholarly or academic that gives an opposing viewpoint, right? Like it's like the other day we were doing an article um, and talking about the the 14th Amendment, and um, I wanted to really kind of tailor the article about what's happening with President Trump trying to disqualify him, right? And there were no alternative views or anything that could be accepted from a scholarly or academic Mm -hmm. point of view on it. Everything was left. And it's, it's like you you don't even you can't even get it, even though we know legally the theory isn't sound because it doesn't apply to a president. It applies to like military. It applies to like people who are representing Congress. But none of that was ever told. You only get one side of it. And all of the data, the articles, documents that you want to utilize, everything only leans one way. Yeah, so and then anything that that's conservative. Is what the, let me ask, let me ask a question, Doug. What made you? believe in american exceptionalism well i grew up i grew up in the i grew up in the northeast bronx um went through a lot of things that people in urban areas go through you know single mom you know all of that and i was able to rise up with education for education and hard work not to say that everything was perfect and easy but you know once i got my head screwed on straight and i started to kind of go to the right you know do the right thing you know, everything worked out. You know, we recognize how great this country is. You put your head down, you start, you work hard, you know, you do the right thing, and things will eventually work out better for you. And you can't blame everyone else when you're making constant poor decisions, you know. And, and a lot of the things that happen in our community are sometimes in urban areas the best. No. But a lot of those things are the decisions that we make. But, I, you know, I credit my faith in God. And, you know, my family and kind of, you know, and, and, and work hard. And the United States military, I went in the Army, too. They screwed my head on straight. <laughs> All right. So I was going to ask you for, a, like, a specific moment or any story that you have in your life that really – because what you brought up was personal responsibility and accountability and hard work. Like, you brought up all the principles that lead to a successful life. It's like, oh, well, duh. Uh, and I was like, well, what – I was going to ask you – where you're like, well, God – Right, you, right, and then you brought up military. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, so there, there it comes. That's that's it. That's the that's the recipe in uh, in Doug's. Yeah, you, you know, faith, faith in God, faith in God. Um, you know, that's first and foremost. You know, that that gives you a moral center. 
and, and an understanding of, you know, everything. And, you know, I credit my mother with that. And then kind of like, you know, I, I kind of went into the military on like, not a dare, but to let my parents know, you know, I could do something that you know, I wasn't just, you know, a lazy kid finishing high school that didn't know. And, and it, it really, it really, I, you know, I would recommend that everybody go into the military, you know, military service be required, but, you know, you know as a citizen, that's, that's something that's optional. It's not, you know, our freedoms don't allow that, but it taught me a lot. It taught me about responsibility got me out of my um my my area where I lived and allowed mm. me to see how the other part of the country lived exposed me to other people right mainly caucasian that I you know I'm african american um you know that I had known about and, and and they're regular people just like us right you know and and there's no there's no difference and a lot of it is isolation you know a lot of people in new york city and especially in poorer communities they've never gotten out of that area so they don't know what else exists so they think everything is just what they see and one of the things i try to tell my students is to expand your your, your boundaries and your options it, this is a big country and everything is not the same one of the things i teach is about you know our republic is that we're not just one monolithic country we're 50 individual like nations almost are the way that our yeah. states are set up and that you know every state has its own values its own culture you know, and you know, and Florida is not going to be like New York, and New York is not like Montana, and Montana is not like California, and you know, you got to get out and really see this nation and see the difference in the diversity of the people, because you know, you live in New York and you'll think everything operates the way that New York does. It yeah. Doesn't you know? When so, you go down so to Georgia good. and you live in other countries. I mean, so, other states. I'm sorry. So good, Doug. Doug, how old are you? I am 49. How many pull-ups could you do right now? Uh, not a lot. I ha- I, I'm a long way from when I was in the military. I wish I was. I wish I, I when I got out, I said I was going to always stay in that shape. But uh, yeah. life and family happened. No, no, 49, 49. You're you're allowed to. What do you think you could do right now? I'll give you a bar. How many pull-ups? Probably three. Yeah, that's great. Three that's good fine. Ones. Three's <laughs> three good ones. Uh, Doug, I, I I'm not uh, blowing smoke here. Uh, every time we talk about these issues. We, we keep digging, we keep digging, we keep digging, and we get to the root. And the root is education and, and how our kids are Absolutely. taught. And you are there, man. You're in it. You're not me whining about it on the radio. You are doing it day in, day out, every day, teaching kids directly, personally, uh, in a powerful, profound Can I way. Say this? Can I say this quickly? Please. About my principal. My principal believes in not sending our students out as victims. Right. And there's a there's a push and a mentality. And, and, and I just want to share like a, a story of something that happened in a, in a, in a meeting. Do it. So there was a I don't want to say too much because I don't want to reveal the school or who do I want to protect. <laughs> Make up. It was a meeting and it was a particular kind of program that was being aimed at making the students more accountable, not to be late, you know, to kind of take responsibility, to look at their lives from how an employer might look at them. Right. And a particular teacher of a particular persuasion and ideology and maybe a subgroup uh, made the comment that I feel like as a this kind of teacher, I can't tell African-Americans that they are not, you know, people of color, that they are not this if they don't do this. Right. And it, it so infuriated me because I was just like, you're going to send these kids out just thinking that, well, oh, I don't have to come to school on time and. Whatever I do, there's, you know, I'm not going to ever be held accountable for anything, and I don't have to do anything. And that kind of pathology so damages our young people that they come out just feeling like they can never accomplish anything, and the world is just going to be handed to them 
no matter what they do, they could screw up and screw up and screw up and screw up. And it just, it just bothered me so. And, you know, I just think, you know, I got a, I got a great school and a great principal. He's not liked, but you know, he, he, he's not going to send these kids out as victims into the world. He's going to let them know exactly what they need to do and the responsibilities they have to do in order to be successful in the world. The teachers may be mad at him, but those students will come back and thank him later. No question. Uh, Doug, I think they will. super grateful you called in, and thank you for everything you're doing. All right. Thank you, Doug. Keep it up, man. News Daily. Thanks for listening. Joel Pollack has been spearheading all of our Israel coverage, and he is in Israel, and we got a update from him. Joel, where are you at? I am on a farm in a remote area where, unfortunately, in about an hour, uh, they're going to bury a mother and two daughters who died in the terror attack on October 7th. And it's really one of several such events because entire families were slaughtered during the terror attack. So I'm here to pay my respects and also to cover the funeral so that the world knows what happened here. I've seen the depth of humanity in the week that I've been here, the scenes of horrific atrocities and also stories of incredible heroism of people who have stepped up and, who drove south to fight the battle against the terrorists before the army could get itself together mm-hmm. and people helping each other out in a time of need. So it's really just been an incredible week, the best and worst of humanity. But in about an hour here in this little field, they're going to lay a mother and two daughters to rest. And it's incredibly sad, but also incredibly beautiful how this community how this country has come together it's so powerful and and wonderful to experience that gamut of human emotion we we as humans tend to stay in the middle we want to try to stay right here Uh, but to go from up here and down here and everywhere in between uh, that's exhausting uh, but also important I want to I want to hear those heroic stories can you can we we've heard a lot of bad things um, but you've you've heard more uh, can you share maybe one of the bad stories? We'll get to the good stuff, but can you share me one, share with us one of the bad stories that you think people haven't heard enough about or an angle about it that we haven't thought about enough about? Sure, as long as your listeners are uh, adequately warned, if you don't like graphic descriptions of bad things, then maybe turn down the radio for a few seconds. But I talked to a soldier today who was one of the first to see the atrocities in Kibbutz Be'eri, which is one of the communities that was hardest hit and in fact that's the kibbutz that this young family uh is from and where they live they were actually from from the uk originally and he came upon the scene there Uh, he told me he saw uh, corpses all along the road that hamas terrorists had murdered people on the road as they came to the kibbutz civilians just driving by in their cars they were shot at dragged out of their cars, killed. Um, He said that he saw the naked bodies of women on the road who had clearly been raped before being murdered. 
he said that he found a rake in the kibbutz that had um, human scalps on it. They had scalped people. I mean, this is the kind of thing that was done. We're not just talking about a mass shooting. We're talking about some of the most atrocious crimes against humanity witnessed ever. And, you know, people say the Holocaust should never happen again. Well, it won't happen again because there's a state of Israel. But this was a Holocaust-type event. And uh, it was really just uh, appalling, remains appalling and shocking, and the world should never forget it. But that's, that's one of the sad stories. You know, the happy story is the fact that this soldier who was talking to me told me that he was able to get in there with some other volunteers who threw on their uniforms and drove down there with whatever weapons they had. He was carrying a pistol with only 10 rounds, but once he got down there, he managed to retrieve a heavy machine gun from one of the Israeli soldiers who had died, and he joined the fight with the special forces, and they managed to kill, at one kibbutz, 27 terrorists. And he said, the terrorists are very bad fighters. They're fine if they're attacking civilians without weapons. They're fine if they surprise soldiers at their base who are sleeping. But in a one-to-one, face-to-face fight, the average Israeli soldier is just so much better than these Palestinian terrorists, no matter how much gear, no matter how many costumes they wear. So he said once we had a face-to-face fight with them, they had no chance. But it's because they surprised everybody and they attacked civilians. They didn't go for military targets. They did in one area, but even there they murdered defenseless recruits rather than having a military battle. That's also a violation of the laws of war. But they went for civilians. They went for children, the elderly. And so when you do that, you are really committing the lowest kind of barbarism that there is. And the fact that this young man, who's a father himself, you know, he recorded a video. We're going to put this up at Breitbart later, actually. But he recorded a video that he gave to me, and he sent it to his kids. Because once he was driving down from the northern part of the country to the south, he started hearing reports about what was happening. He realized that he was going into a fight he might not come back from. So he left them a message, a video message about how much he loved them. Oh, come on. And he hoped he would be back to see them later. But he knew it, was, it might have been the last thing they ever got from him. Um, but he not only survived, but he, he joined the fight, and he was able to defeat the terrorists and, and protect one kibbutz and then liberate kibbutz Be'eri. Unfortunately, 108 people were already murdered at kibbutz Be'eri, many of them families like this one, a mother and her two daughters. So I just want to reiterate, you have – you have the video that he made for his children, or you just have a video of him talking about it? I have the video he made for his children. Oh, come on. I, so I had to go yesterday. I had lunch with Alex, and uh, I had to say goodbye to my children as I was driving to, to go. Right, And there was like, it was like a hugs. And it was like, I, I, I couldn't imagine right giving a goodbye video message as I'm going to go fight off the terrorists that are murdering my fellow citizen. That, that's, that's, uh, I Listen, cannot wait to see that. Our American men and women in uniform, they do the same thing. We send our young men and women into harm's way. The difference, of course, is that this was an attack on the homeland. We haven't really experienced that since Pearl Harbor or 9-11. It's very rare in the United States. Yep. This is an attack on the Israeli homeland. And... 
it was on a Saturday morning, a holiday when nobody expected to be at war. So that's the difference is that he was, he was called to go to his base and instead he went to the front lines oh, yeah, and so he had to arm himself as he was going. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, you know, so uh, that, that is, so that is a little different. You know, we, we usually, we usually know ahead of time when our men and women are going into that kind of a situation, but um, yeah, it's, it's, we'll have that up later at Breitbart, but he gave me permission to publish it. Oh, can't um, wait. Can't his, wait to what he thought might be his final message to his kids mm. and to mm. his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the reality here. And people are still stuck in that moment for the mourners at this funeral. October 7th is still today, but the country has pulled together. I've never seen any country so united and so determined and the soldiers are ready to go. They've been on the border for two weeks now. You can hear the airstrikes. They are sometimes, even now, engaging in hand-to-hand or face-to-face combat with terrorists, either because the terrorists tried to infiltrate, as they did last night. There was an attempted naval assault by Hamas. Or because there are terrorists hiding out in Israel who stayed inside the country after the October 7th attack. Uh, One of them gave himself up a few days ago at Kibbutz Be'eri, right around the time I was there. And actually... I thought we were hearing artillery rounds being fired. It turned out there were tank rounds being fired while I was there because the tanks were shooting at anything that moved in the field. I've only learned this later. But basically, about an hour or two before I was there, there was a terrorist who was hiding in one of the fields who gave himself up. But this is the reality. Israel is at war, and they're mourning their dead and preparing for what comes next. There will be other funerals. There will be soldiers dying now. But Israelis are prepared to die now to protect their country. They face an existential choice. They can either be murdered in their beds by Palestinian terrorists or they can die fighting. And the entire country is together in the fight. And it's not just soldiers. I just came here from a little political office that has been converted into a clearinghouse for donations for orphans, for the dozens and dozens of orphans who lost their mother and father in the terror attack. There are dozens of them. And they need to be taken care of. The whole country is pulling together. People are doing things. They're driving food to people who can't leave their homes, either because they're elderly or disabled, and they might be stuck in a town that's close to the fighting. So this is just an extraordinary experience. And to be here as an American, you know, the appreciation that the Israeli people have for America, the love that they're showing to the United States is incredible. They're so, so grateful that America is with them, that we're supporting them, and whatever other political feelings we might have about Joe Biden and some of the other Democrats, Joe Biden stood by Israel at this moment. Now, I don't like his policies, and I think some of them probably led to this. But the fact is that Israelis feel that the American government and the American people are behind them. And there's a huge warmth and love from Israelis to Americans. And I hope the audience understands that, that there's just so much appreciation here. I don't know if we get that appreciation from other countries, but we certainly do from Israel. Speaking of Joe Biden, you wrote, we're talking about Joel Pollack, of course, who's in Israel right now. Uh, you wrote an article about Joe Biden suggesting that if all the hostages are released, then we can have a conversation about a ceasefire. Giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's just playing good cop to Israel's tough talk, bad, talk, bad cop. Uh, what, what do you make of what Joe Biden said about a potential ceasefire if you release Yeah, I, I didn't like it. There's not going to be a ceasefire. I mean, the only way what he said was good is if it fools Hamas into thinking there might be a ceasefire, and so right. they'll give up more hostages. But there's not going to be a ceasefire. Israelis are going to 
take out Hamas no matter who doesn't like it. Biden can disapprove of it. Uh, even if the Israeli government disapproves of it, the population of Israel will cross the border and get rid of Hamas itself. People are determined that they're not going to live with this terrorist threat anymore. This is a people's army. Everybody goes to the army. And people serve in the reserves into their 40s. This is an army that has that level of citizen involvement. People know their units. You know, people, they don't talk about military affairs because of national secrecy. You know, people are aware of that need to keep information classified. But they, they do share army stories all the time. This is a very close-knit society, and the military is part of what binds it. And Israelis are going to get rid of Hamas no matter who has a problem with it. I hear, we've heard for years, the social justice crowd talk about justice, no justice, no peace, all this. I haven't heard the word justice from any of their mouths in the last three weeks or so. Is that a word or a concept that's being talked about in Israel, and what would that look like? Yeah, yeah. Justice means punishing evil. That's what justice really means. It doesn't mean making everything equal for everybody. That's social justice. It just means leveling. But actual justice is punishing evil. And the Israelis are about to go punish some evil. That's how people feel about it. Uh, not so much revenge, although there's a bit of that. I saw a banner somebody put up that said revenge. That is how some people feel. But most people, especially with the, the delay and in the invasion of Gaza, most people have had time to reflect on everything and to come to terms with how this is going to happen. And it's going to be a hard fight, but it's not going to be a raging fight. Rage is the word Biden used. I would never have used that word, but, you know, it's almost insulting. But, you know, I think he meant well, but that's not how people feel right now. People are going to go in there in a very methodical way. And Israel is going to take out Hamas with as little risk as possible to its own soldiers and to Palestinian civilians. The Israeli military will take better care of Palestinian civilians than the Palestinian leaders do. And that's a fact. And that's the great shame, the great shame of the Palestinian national movement is that they complain because they want Israel to take care of their own children, but they don't care, take care of their children. They go to war by killing Israeli children, knowing that they're placing their own children at risk by doing so. It's this bizarre situation when Israel is supposed to care more about Palestinian children than Palestinians do, but that's where we are, and Israel will do a good job. You hear that phrase, free Palestine on university campuses. They're going to free Palestine from Hamas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the terrorists are gone, maybe there can be room for peace, but there are some very, very serious questions that need to be asked about the lack of condemnation, the fact that nobody in the pro-Palestinian movement is saying not in my name when it comes to Hamas, the fact that none of these leaders is condemning the terrorism. They like the terrorism because they think Israelis are going to run away. Well, the opposite has happened. Israelis are pulling together and they're going toward the fight. And if they can't pick up a gun, they're picking up a box of food or clothes and they're delivering it to people who need help. This society is coming together. It's a strong, strong society, a society that loves each other despite all their differences. And they love the United States. The appreciation from the soldiers toward America. I took a picture with some soldiers. I had to blur their faces, but they're carrying the American flag into battle because they love America. They're Israelis and they love their country, but they also love America. So I just want people to understand that, that when it comes to America first, it also means knowing who our allies are, our real friends. And Israel is a real friend of the United States. And they've helped us. We're helping them. And I hope people appreciate that. 
Barack Obama said the Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis, it could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations. Hearts and minds. Nobody cares about Barack Obama. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. The only important thing Obama said was that Israel should dismantle Hamas. You can forget the rest of his statement. The fact that he said Israel should dismantle Hamas, that's good. Everything else is just garbage. You know why he said that? Because Democrats looked around and realized there's a large Arab-American population in Michigan, and Michigan's a swing state, and some of those Arab-American voters are not going to vote Democratic. They're not going to vote Republican. They're just going to stay at home or they'll vote for Cornell West or something. So the only reason he's now saying all this stuff about Palestinian civilians is that Democrats are trying to hold on to those votes. They're worried that Republicans will win Michigan in 2024. It has nothing to do with anything. It's all political. And the target audience, the Arab-American community, they're not stupid. They know. They know what Obama is doing. It's not going to make a difference. Nobody cares about Barack Obama. But he did say the right thing in the early days of the war, and he repeated it even in that terrible statement. If you look at the whole statement, Israel has to dismantle Hamas. I would just stop reading there yeah. and forget about everything else he said. Yeah. Do you have time for one more question, or you got to run? One more, one more. Okay. Uh, retired Colonel Douglas McGregor. I don't know how much we need to listen to him. Uh, he was on Tucker's show, and we had a lot of people call in about this, is why I ask you. He said in the last 24 hours or so, some of our special ops forces and Israeli special ops forces went into Gaza to do some recon to see if we can help free hostages make an impact, and they were shot to pieces and took heavy losses. I know Breitbart's top priority is getting things right. Have you heard anything about our or Israeli special forces taking any casualties yet? No. Zero. But it doesn't mean it didn't happen. They wouldn't report it. So I don't know how he knows it. I wouldn't know it. Uh, I doubt it, though. But look, there are going to be operations like that where there are heavy losses. The two hostages that came out yesterday both said that they were kept within a spider web of underground tunnels. It's not going to be easy to go in there when the Israeli special forces don't know what the tunnels are like underground. They probably have some intelligence, but they don't have a map of the tunnels. And it's going to be very, very, very difficult. I'm not saying something like that didn't happen, but I do know that the Israelis don't want Americans fighting for them. They're very glad for the support, but they don't want Americans to have to put their lives at risk. So I know that U.S. special forces are in Israel helping to advise, helping to plan. But I think the Israelis are very clear. They want to go in and do this themselves. So if that's what McGregor's hearing, fine. But again, I'm not trying to be rude. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about opinions, and nobody cares about Barack Obama. This society has been dealt a massive, massive wound. It's been, it's been cut so deeply. It has seen things nobody could have possibly imagined. And, and the Israeli people are going to make things right, and nobody is going to stop them. That's the mood here. Nobody is going to stop them. If you want to help, you can help. But if you're not helping, get out of the way. That's basically the attitude. Everybody is united. So nobody wants America to be drawn into this. Israelis don't want a broader fight. They're trying to avoid a bigger war. But this is not a war of choice. I want to just emphasize that. It's not a war of choice. 1,400 Israelis, the vast majority of them innocent civilians, many of them children, were murdered in an invasion. There's no ceasefire when that happens. 
There's no calculation of any other outcome other than war. Israel was attacked. The Palestinians under Hamas declared war on Israel. That's how this started. There is nothing in the world that is going to stop the Israeli military from going in there when it feels the time is right. And people can have their opinions about it, but it's not going to stop. Uh, U.S. Special Forces are there not just to help Israel, but probably also to deter Iran and to deter the other terrorist groups. And that's good. Our involvement so far has been good. It's deterring a broader conflict because it's warning Iran to stay out. That's peace through strength. That's the Trump approach. That's the Reagan approach. Biden has finally come around to it for a while anyway, we hope. Maybe he'll stick to it. But after doing the opposite for two and a half years, he's finally doing what he should have done from the beginning. Joel Pollack, stay safe. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's Joel Pollack, senior editor-at-large, Breitbart. Uh, I can't wait to find that, to see that article of that uh, video that man made to his kids. That'll be tough to watch. I'm American made. I got American parts. We have a completely jam-packed show tomorrow. We have a congressman at 7.30 Eastern. Tell us what in the world is going on with the speaker's race. Got a lot of questions for him. And uh, Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be with us at 8 o'clock. Can't wait for that as well. Hope you can be there. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.